It's time for episode 125 of the Clockwise podcast from Relay FM, recorded Wednesday, February 24th, 2016. Clockwise, four people, four technology topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, the tech podcast where you get to talk until the orchestra plays you off. I'm your co-host. No, no, thank you. I'd like to thank. I'd like to thank my friend. Uh, I'm your co-host Dan Moore, and joined by our own orchestra section, Mr. Jason Snell. Oh, hi, Dan. Are you done hi, with your Jason. speech now? You done with your Oscar speech? I've only got two hours left in my speech. If you just wouldn't mind holding mm. on a little longer. And the nominees are me and me and me. Uh, we actually have two nominees for this episode of Clockwise, as we always do. Two wonderful guests, right, Dan? Well, we have two. We have many nominees, but only two winners. Oh, Jason. I see. To my Excellent. left is winner number one. Uh, Macworld editor Susie Oaks. Hi, Susie. Hi. I'm the one who walks off the wrong side of the stage, and you have to get me and point me to the. <laughs> the there are no stages, <laughs> Susie. There are no stages. This is a podcast. <laughs> it's a. It's a. But the clo- the clockwise. Yeah, the meta- metaphorically, there's a stage. It's a circle. Podcast mm. in the round. Let me. Uh, also, one of the things that Susie wins is uh, she gets to host the Macworld podcast with uh, the person who's to my left, Glenn Fleischman. Hi, Glenn. Hello, and uh, I learned a lesson from Mel Brooks, which is never thank Hitler during your speech. <laughs> <laughs> Almost never. All right. Almost never. That's safe. That's a safe one right there. Well, we, we won't thank Hitler, but we will talk about four <laughs> technology topics today on our little podcast. Uh, and since I am this week's designated co-host, I'll go first. Uh, news arrived late yesterday, as we record this on Wednesday, uh, that Apple was quick to dispel any reports that the uh, ability to navigate iOS with the Apple Pencil uh, is not a feature that they've removed. In other words, (laughs) all those earlier betas that didn't have that feature in it, no, 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 we weren't taking that out. We were just, you know, thinking about something else and forgot to put it in or something. Uh, So, But my question sort of from a larger perspective uh, is this another sign of a new Apple sort of walking this back? You know, this is this is by virtue of the fact that we actually have public betas, which people can give feedback on. Is this sort of, you know, provide a, a different perspective for Apple? Or is this just, you know, yet another hue and cry that, that a company backs down on? Susie, what do you think? Um, well, I think the fact that we have public betas of iOS now would make this a much bigger deal than it was before. I mean, developers used to be the only ones who had betas, and they were under under NDA. I mean, it's like the worst kept NDA ever, but they weren't really supposed to talk about what was in the betas. But now the betas are public. Anyone can talk about anything in the betas. And so people do. <laughs> and the, there was a lot of talk. Apple did walk it back. Um, they talked when they were on John Gruber's uh, podcast recently. Um, Mr. Federighi and uh, Mr. Um, Q talked about how they had used you know feedback they'd gotten from the iPad Pro and from the Apple TV to you know add back things that people were you know yelling about not being there. So you could take it as a sign of the new Apple, but I don't know. I think it's it's the whole thing was kind of overblown because it's a beta. I mean things things drop it out of a beta. So um, but yeah, 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 I don't know. I'm not convinced that it's a it's a sign of a, a change in Apple's direction. I, I've been uh, fascinated by some people's reaction to Apple's statement about this because a, a lot of people reacted to Apple's statement as saying, see, this is why you should never talk about things that are in betas because they're always in flux. Um, to which I would say, wait a second, I thought the idea of a public beta was that people expressed their feedback about what was in them or not in them and that Apple could then take that feedback 
and choose if it wanted to act on it. And, uh, you know, I, I tend to believe that this was something that Apple originally intended to omit from iOS. I think that there have been some people I trust who have sources who say that this was a decision to take it out. Um, Apple's so- statement is a little wishy-washy on that point. But the larger point is, is it a problem if Apple thought, you know what, we can just take this feature out and nobody will care, which is, you know, driving the interface with the pencil in addition to drawing. And uh, a lot of people got really mad and said, no, no, we care. Please do not take this feature out. And Apple said, okay, we're not going to take that feature out. So it seems to me like the system worked um, and and people can roll their eyes at some of the perceived kind of drama here. But at the same time, this is how it's supposed to work in some ways, which is, and I think it's refreshing that Apple seems to have listened to this. Um, now, if you believe that Apple always intended to put it back, I, I'm skeptical of that because I would think that there would have been a communication earlier if Apple had always intended to bring it back. But uh, I'm glad that we got to that point. And I think that that speaks volumes about Apple being different and more open about this process, which is the natural effect of having a public beta. So I say thumbs up. Uh, I think that Apple, I think I agree. I think that Apple is listening more, uh, or let's say they're acting more on what they're hearing. I used to say in the past, I'd talk to them and I'd say, uh, you know, what do you hear from list or, you know, users about this? And they'd say, well, you know, we don't hear much or, oh, that doesn't get back to us. Or sometimes they'd say, well, we know there's a lot of talk about it, but really that's not really our focus. And now I feel like we're getting more of this. I think the error 53 situation that was already resolved um, is a good example, even though it's not, uh, say, beta feedback, which is a different category. Uh, the uh, the situation got uh, discussed. Uh, it was covered. They put out a statement right away explaining um, you know, briefly why they are disabling phones with this Touch ID unpairing situation. And it wasn't a satisfactory situation in terms of how uh, what it did to users' phones. Uh, and the disclosure, I wrote about this. A ton of people wrote about it. I expect customers sent them feedback, went into Apple stores. And it was a matter of what, days? Not even that many days before Apple said, hey, we're sorry. Which, what? <laughs> we're sorry. We bricked your phones. We will release this, you know, update that's actually the same release number. We'll uh, talk to us if you had to, you know, pay for repair, replace it. We'll work on that. And the new update will do the more sensible thing, which just tell you that your touch ID is disabled for this reason. And you can make a choice about what you want to do instead of bricking the phone. I thought that feels to me sort of like a new Apple. I mean, you could also go back to when Steve Jobs slashed the price of the original iPhone after people complained it was too expensive. And that seemed to be highly reactive to the, to the market. But that was back when they were in a position of weakness, introducing uh, a new smartphone in a category that was defined by other companies. So uh, I don't know. I think uh, I feel like they're more rapidly respond to things with public statements and sometimes talking privately to journalists and giving them information that can be used um, in a way that I don't remember seeing before on this routine basis. So let's hope they're listening more. Yeah, I think I generally agree with what you guys are saying. More mostly the point that, you know, why have a public beta at all if you're not going to listen to any of the feedback from it? That just seems ridiculous. Um, so the fact that they even offer those and that they are do seem to be responsive to the, you know, critiques they hear in them is great. I think the next step is for them to get to a point where they don't feel like they have to be a, maybe somewhat disingenuous about the reasons for changing things. Like if they just say like, hey, we hear you. Uh, seems like a lot of people like that feature. We'll totally put that back. Sorry about that. That would be the next sort of big step for them. But thank you all for your your feedback. I've incorporated <laughs> it into my topic. Uh, let's move on to topic <laughs> topic number two, which comes from Susie. 
Yeah. So my topic is uh, obviously this FBI thing is a huge story and, um, you know, Apple's going to fight until the bitter end. But I was just wondering if we could get hypothetical for a minute and talk about what happens if Apple loses. If the government says, like, look, you have to unlock this phone for us. We know that there are other phones that, you know, they want to unlock that are just waiting in the wings. and It's not just this one phone. So then what would happen next? Um, Would Apple, how would they bounce back? Do you think they would uh, be tightening encryption even more? And more OSs, um, would be, they have a harder time convincing people to use things like Apple Pay, HealthKit, HomeKit? Um, would they just get super transparent with customers and say, "Look, like here's everything that's in your iCloud backup. Here's what we can protect. Here's what we can't." Well, like, I mean, it would be a terrible scenario. But what do you guys think would be like the first, you know, fallout? How would Apple have to respond? I, I think you're right that there would be uh, you sort of suggested I think there would be like a grid on Apple's website that actually says sort of like <laughs> what we can protect and what we can't and what's available. I think we've seen Apple even when it needs to comply with federal um, court requests and regulations, it it famously inserted this um, canary in a coal mine language in one of its documents, one of its reports that said, we have not done this yet. And the idea there is once you've st- stated that, the moment you stop stating it, because they can't talk about it when it happens, it's a secret. But the moment they stop stating it, everybody knows that it happened, which is kind of brilliant. And they, I think they would continue to do kind of uh, fight the fight the power with disclosure as much as they can, uh, whenever they can. I also think, you know, we are already at a point where Apple is going to be aggressively adding security features to iOS that are designed to block Apple from having control over security. So a- Apple is in some ways uh, building sec- more and more security features that lock itself out of the process. Now, the question is, what if Apple is mandated to not do that anymore? Like stop adding security features? Um, because that's the scary argument here is right now it's it's complying with orders to do things they're capable of doing. But at what point does somebody a- ask Apple, stop securing your operating system, remove security features from it and de- de-secure your, o- your operating system? I think they're going to run as far as they can in the other direction before they get there. And I do think that there is a, a nightmare scenario here where Apple starts doing like update releases and app releases and things where they're not forcing people to update to a new version of iOS entirely because there will be security problems with the new version. So I, I hope it doesn't get there. But I do think Apple is going to keep on. They're going to they're have some transparency and they're going to complain and they're going to try to rush to have as much stuff be out of their hands as possible so that they don't have uh, so that they can't comply with court orders to uh, provide information. Yeah, I think they're going to move uh, – if this happens, if we have the – not exactly the doomsday scenario, but the uh, slippery uh, – the thin edge of the wedge scenario, let's call it. The slippery soap scenario. Uh, I think Apple has a bunch of strategies that it can use. I think Jason suggested some. Uh, you know, a page that says, we're not currently doing something, and then that page goes away. Uh, OK. That's legal, it turned out. Um, it hasn't violated – Replaced with the image of a skull. <laughs> that's right. Wow, there are no pages wow. left on Apple's it's, website. Yeah. It's, that's right. But the uh, there are other strategies. They could do things like – uh, uh, you know, remove features. They could say, we are no longer confident we can keep your health data secure. So um, we are disabling home or uh, health kit. Uh, and we suggest uh, we'll let you export your data and continue using it. But we don't believe that it's safe or something like that. They could go kind of on the nuclear option and start telling customers that they that they're they're sunsetting features because our iMessage, we no longer we suggest use an alternative service. Um iMessage is no longer secure, you know, like the Hogwarts thing. The Ministry of Magic has fallen, you know. Uh, <laughs> Tim Cook is uh, no longer in charge. Uh, the other thing they could do as well 
which would be more insidious and interesting and harder to block, they could open up. They could add more API hooks into their services that would allow third parties to integrate things like encryption packages that Apple didn't sell or offer. They could open up the App Store with an option to allow things to go in there that aren't currently in there. And then you have to say, is the FBI or, excuse me, I should say Congress uh, or or secret legislation that is handled through backdoor courts we don't have access to, is that going to block Apple from having APIs (laughs) that are open? Uh, Because you have countries around the world that do have strong uh, personal and data protection rules um, that actually prohibit certain kinds of things. So you could have operations in, I think, Iceland, for instance, there are some servers that run there because of the strong personal protection uh, in Iceland. And, uh, you know, so some company could move all its operations to Iceland um, or, you know, Estonia, somewhere like that, make software and just ship it worldwide that happens to plug into an interesting interface in iOS. And then you get the thought crime thing, like, no, you can't offer an API that might allow this. Like, and it just becomes more and more ridiculous and reveals the absurdity inherent in the system. Uh, I think you guys all, all sort of hit the nail on the head with a lot of the things. I, I do think transparency will be a big part of it. I, too, can picture that sort of big grid on the Apple, you know, site saying these are the services that are that are secure. Uh, here's sort of, you know, what you can do to make the most out of what you're allowed to do. Maybe switch to encrypted backups on iTunes instead of backing things up in iCloud, et cetera, et cetera. One of the bigger problems of this really, though, is that almost certainly if this gets to a legislative point, Apple won't be the only company affected. We'll see a lot of the other uh, you know, companies, uh, smartphone making companies have to comply with this in some ways. Although it's interesting to think maybe then some of the more secure phones would be the ones coming out of other other countries, you know, <laughs> companies based in other countries, which is kind of frightening, especially because you don't necessarily want to be like, well, if our, you know, phones designed in America aren't secure, do we switch to phones designed in China? Like, how much better do we feel about that? Um, and so I, I think that's sort of the worrying effect long term. Unfortunately, I think the other problem here is that We've seen that this is a complex technological issue, and a lot of people who are not tech-savvy consumers simply don't understand it. And so we have a lot of people who probably won't understand why you know this is a problem at all, and will probably just go about their lives as they did before. And we have a lot of people probably who would sort of fall into the, well, I'm not doing anything wrong camp. I don't care. You know, I'm just going to keep using my phone as I always have. So... Uh, I guess optimistically, I like to think that, you know, Apple will lead the charge, and I think they certainly will. It's just a question of how much consumers actually heed that. Uh, and I suspect that there might be a large chunk of them who, to whom it does not seem like it makes a big difference, at least until, you know, the stuff really starts hitting the fan and their, their phones get compromised by malware and whatever based on all these vulnerabilities we've introduced into them. So I'm hoping it doesn't come to that, obviously, as I'm sure we all are. But I, I feel like there's the more things change, the more things stay the same. That's two topics down. Those were good topics. Uh, let's all go to the lobby and get ourselves a snack. And the snack <laughs> is brought to you by Ministry of Supply, who, who believes that everyday clothing should be smarter by now. These are these are smart clothes. I'm not kidding. Uh, it, they're designed for the needs of a body in motion, not a mannequin. Uh, we're all on, all on the go all day. Our clothing should adapt with us. Uh, Ministry of Supply, they are a professional menswear company launched out of MIT, yes, the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, making clothes. They launched four years ago. They make polished business clothes that are engineered 
MIT style to provide technical benefits like body temperature regulation to keep you from getting too hot or too cold, sweat wicking fibers to keep you dry, and stretchable fabric to allow you to move freely. These are space clothes, space age clothes. Uh, the Apollo, you see, it's a space theme and everything, is the most tech forward dress shoot. It's got moisture wicking fibers. It's the same stuff that NASA developed to keep astronauts cool in space. It's got a light knit construction for breathability. It's got four way stretch for mobility. They commissioned a research study, because again, MIT, that found it was around 15 times as breathable as a 100% cotton dress shirt. They're easy to maintain. They're wrinkle resistant. You can wash and dry them at home. You don't need to iron them. Big win. Uh, so I, I've tried them, them out. I've tried the two Ministry of Supply shirts out. Uh, just kind of spectacularly good. And I uh, will probably buy more. Uh, I really like them. And they you really don't need to iron, iron them. It's true. Um, find out a lot more by going to ministryofsupply.com slash clockwise. And if you use the code clockwise, you will get 15% off your first purchase and show your support for the show. And if you want to shop in person, go to one of the Ministry Supply storefronts. And I think there's one in Boston and San Francisco and maybe somewhere else. I'm not sure. Uh, but just mention clockwise, like a secret password, and you'll get 15% off your first purchase there too. So thank you to the Ministry of Supply for supporting clockwise. And uh, I hope everybody got their milk duds and is back in their seat because intermission is over. Uh, here's my topic. Mobile World Congress is going on. Lots of phones, lots of Android phones announced there. Uh, we are a whole bunch of people who write mostly about Apple. So uh, I'm going to I'm gonna spin this a little bit. Is there a feature in a phone that was announced at Mobile World Congress that you've looked at and said, that is something I would like to see in the next iPhone? Glenn, what do you think? Well, uh, I, I promise I'm not going to start singing the song from Company uh, Barcelona. But uh, there was one thing I saw that I, I don't know if it's the next iPhone, so I will I will put that proviso on it. But I think it might be a future uh, direction. The HP Elite X3. It's a Windows phone that uh, can work as a desktop PC when docked. Now, this used to sound like a terrible idea. Uh, we've seen many iterations of it over the year because smartphones and previous. Uh, mobile devices were so far underpowered it made no sense. But now we're starting to see smartphones and especially tablets like the iPad Pro that are really, uh, you know, laptop grade or or beyond uh, in terms of low-end laptops or even, you know, sometimes mid-range ones uh, coming. So I'm interested in the notion, and I have been for a while, of being able to have a small thing I carry around that's got, uh, you know, enough storage. It's got a cloud connection. It's got everything. It's basically is a smartphone, but it doesn't have to be a phone. It doesn't have to be a tablet. doesn't even necessarily have to have a screen, although maybe, you know, it does because that's the conventional thing, but that it works in all these different places. So instead of having to carry a laptop, I might have a screen in different places. I might be able to plug into screens that are available, uh, you know, using um, high-speed wireless networking like 802.11ad that's coming out. So the potential – I like that HP is trying something that is um, – it's both looking to the past at failed ideas, including from companies like HP, uh, but also looking to the future that we have so much computation power uh, in the, the, your hand that you might use that instead of having multiple devices and then be able to suit yourself in different locations instead of having – a desktop configuration in your office if you have one, a laptop, maybe a tablet, and a smartphone. So I like that idea, and I think the iPhone already has some of those capabilities, and certainly iPad Pro is so much farther in that direction because of its screen. Um, but I can see a potential for Apple making like a Mac Mini that is essentially uh, you know, about a 16th of the current Mac Mini size and would have uh, smartphone and portable features. 
what Glenn said, but it also turns into a robot. <laughs> <laughs> I actually kind of like that. You know, I think I wrote something in one of my Macworld columns a, a few months ago about something like that, um, which I think is a really cool idea. And the idea that you have only a single device, I don't think we're necessarily quite there yet, but I would like to see something move in that direction. Um, I think a couple of the features that I have you know, been interested in that I think might actually happen include things like waterproof phones which we've seen for a while but i think apple has moved more and more towards that direction and sort of going along with that since i think it would make it a lot easier is the wireless charging capability which of course apple's built into the apple watch um which i i like very much there and i i think the idea of having that for uh for an iphone is is pretty cool um and that would certainly help make it waterproof in some ways um, among some of the other things, I, I think we've seen a lot of development in sort of the 3D slash VR space. Uh, and so possibly having a camera on the iPhone that could take sort of virtual reality pictures or some sort of 3D type picture that you could then view with a compatible viewer, I think would be kind of interesting. Um, I feel like that's the kind of thing Apple probably wakes until, waits until it has more of a fully baked concept to actually do. Um, but given all the attention that's been put in that area, I think I'm sure they're investigating it so um beefing up that kind of thing i think would be uh very interesting as well i don't see them doing the whole modular thing that some of the phones were touted for doing at the mobile world congress just because it's it doesn't seem like their style um having you know removable batteries or additional camera modules uh, it seems too fiddly and finicky i mean this is you know we wrapped all the way back around to to removable batteries that was a whole (laughs) issue when the iphone came out in the first place uh so i don't think we're about to change that anytime soon um well i like dan think that it's probably time for wireless charging um this galaxy s6 which was last year's samsung flagship had um has the wireless charging and i think that um you know the f7 the s7 has it too the one that they just announced i think it's definitely time and i think like um there's two different standards and the but samsung um Samsung supports both. So you don't even Apple doesn't need to wait for, you know, a clear winner to emerge. They can just go ahead, support both. And I think that'll really um, that'll really push adoption. Um, I'm seeing wireless charging pads around. They have them at Starbucks. They have them at different places. But I think if the iPhone suddenly charges wirelessly, we'll see those a ton more. And then the other thing that Samsung did that I really like is they have a hybrid SIM tray that has a little um, SD card, like a micro SD card slot kind of behind the SIM. So it's not an extra slot. It's not like, you know, an extra gaping hole in the side of your phone. It didn't add any thickness. <laughs> and if you're not, you know, a power user who's looking for it, you wouldn't even know it was there. But it can accept up to 200 gigabytes of extra memory. And memory is still a problem in the iPhone line. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's really sad that they're still selling the 16 gigabyte iPhone as the entry level when that's just not enough storage for anybody. So um, having, you know, the option of putting in a little extra, I think would really help. The the right answer here probably is camera stuff for me. Uh, that uh, th- there was some innovation in uh, th- there's some camera modules that are better that are doing better in terms of focus. There are multi camera uh, backs of phones where they're able to add because you can't have a super thick. Uh, camera lens because uh, it's a phone, <laughs> but you can add cameras and use software to do clever things with them. And some of the Android phones are doing that. I think that's interesting. But that all said, I think my answer is really going to be that all the phones that I saw announced at Mobile World Congress come with a headphone jack. So I'd love to see that in the next iPhone. <laughs> that's a radical, Cute. radical decision. Um, that's the end of that topic. We have one, just time for one last topic. Glenn, what do you have? 
Well, you know, people like to rate things. This is kind of the uh, the I think what started the commercial uh, internet was that is like, oh, you can get user generated content when people uh, rate stuff and it gets people uh, involved in something like Yelp or Amazon. You're, you know, there's several thousand reviews of the Harry Potter books. Who writes the seven thousandth review? Is my question. Um, so why not do that to people? Because that's a great idea. Just rate <laughs> other people on the internet without their permission. So last summer we had people p e e p l e um, that was announced by. Uh, sort of vaporware uh, by a, a couple of entrepreneurs who thought it would be fine to, uh, you know, ostensibly only post positive reviews of other people without their permission and maybe link in their phone number without them knowing. That sort of disappeared, you know, exploded, blew up. January, we get the stolen app, which is, hey, I just bought so-and-so. There is nothing problematic about suggesting you bought another person without their permission in a game. Um, so stolen was withdrawn by the developers after the outrage. They said, look, we, we didn't think about it right. So then... <laughs> Stolen comes back a couple days ago as famous, retooled with input from a prominent uh, person uh, who's been subjected to abuse, who uh, understands how the internet works, Zoe Quinn, uh, against you. And they redesigned it. They submitted it to Apple as famous. It got rejected. Uh, So, um, you know, what's up with all these apps that let you rate other people? Uh, Would you want to participate in such a social, you know, network? Uh, It seems kind of uh, Lord of the Flies-ish in some way. What's an alternative if you don't find that uh, that good. Is there an alternative that you find more appealing about how we might interact with and give other people um, something like what Cory Doctorow once called woofy, which are like ratings, but they accrue and give you social currency? Is any of that tolerable to any of you? No, no. Uh, the only I'd like to rate the people who create people rating apps. Right? Thumbs down. I'd pay a lot for that. Uh, I don't. I don't get it. Maybe maybe this is a sign that I finally aged out of that vaunted demographic. But this seems totally <laughs> totally silly to me. Um, guess what? First of all, we all rate people privately in our heads all the time. Glenn, you're like a four right now. I'm not telling you what the scale is. <laughs> Uh, but like, you know, why this is just like giving, giving, you know, fuel to sort of the most unpleasant parts of the human experience in some ways. Like there's no reason we need to turn this into an app. I'm sorry. Nobody else needs to know how people are rated, especially via the internet, because there's no way that could ever get abused in any fashion whatsoever. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I read the, the Dr. O books back in the day and I think we all have a moment where we feel very idealistically that wouldn't it be great if there was more based on this sort of karma idea. Um, but it turns out that's really hard to do, uh, and that that system is really, really easy to abuse. So I am sure that someone eventually will make one of these apps that's successful in some way. I don't think I will ever really use it. I'm content with sort of my limited scale social interactions with people and they can rate me however they want. Yeah, I mean, I think there's probably there's probably reasons why you would want to rate people. I know um, that, that at People claim that they were trying to help you find trustworthy people if you were looking for like a handyman or a babysitter or something. They, you would want to know that someone else had, you know, a good experience with this person. But the problem is we already have plenty of other places to do that. I mean, you, you can look on Yelp. You can look on Nextdoor and ask your neighbors for recommendations. Um, babysitters, there's tons of services that will help you find someone. There's Care.com. They do actual background checks. There's Urban Sitter. There's, there's all these different ways to get 
the, those objectives done that I don't really think we need like a catch-all thing because, yeah, then that just opens up way too much potential for abuse, online bullying, trolling, revenge kind of stuff. I mean, as a woman on the internet, this stuff terrifies me because there's not that much you can do about it. And when abuses happen, these platforms that are like, oh, no, we're just an open platform. Everyone can talk to each other. Like they haven't really been able to step up and help curb abuse. So something like this where like the whole thing is just, you know, saying like what you think of people like there's just way too much potential for abuse that would be really, really hard to curb. So if if, if there's other ways to um, complete the objective of being able to, you know, recommend somebody or give them props for a job well done, we have tons of existing systems for that. And we should just, you know, focus on those. Um, I give people uh, three stars. I give people on the internet two stars. And I give the people who make these apps zero stars. That's my answer. Time for a bonus topic, Jason? I think we just got enough time. Let's do it. All right. It's Oscar week. Any predictions for best picture? Or if you've got any person or film that you're particularly rooting for to win some sort of award this week? Susie? I haven't seen any of them yet, but the one I want to see the most that's nominated for Best best Picture is Room. So I hope that wins. Uh, I'm going to predict Spotlight as the winner because I think Oscar likes to feel good. And that's a story about crusading journalists. um, And I think that will make them feel good. And so that's going to be my choice. Well, I haven't only seen like one of the films nominated this year. Room has a picture of a kid on the poster wearing a raccoon hat. So that makes me lean that direction. However, The Revenant, I'm just going to predict is going to win because bear scene, bear attack. It's going to win. Uh, I think I've seen about three of them. I'm going to side with Jason on Spotlight. Not that it's be- it's not really a feel good movie, no. uh, <laughs> but it's it's a really well made movie. And of the ones I've seen, I think it's probably the best made. Uh, so but there are a lot of there are a lot of good pictures there. Oscar doesn't like feel-good movies. They like movies that make it feel good about itself for giving it an award. <laughs> ah, there you go. But it's also a really, really good movie. So well, there is that. That's good. Um, okay. Well, that is Four Topics and our bonus topic, which means that all we should do now is thank our winners, because you guys are winners. Susie Oaks, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me back. Four stars, Susie. Four stars. And the Oscar does not go to Glenn. You like me. You really like me. And that's it. We're done for another week. We'll be back next week with four more topics. Uh, Dan, we did it. Excellent. Jason, It's. I'd just like to thank the Academy. Well, everybody, watch what you say. And keep watching the clock. Goodbye. Goodbye.